Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. We're breaking with format slightly uh, this time because uh, our guest uh, is not here to talk uh, primarily about meditation. Uh, her name is Gretchen Rubin. You may know her from her uh, mega best-selling book, The The Happiness Project. Um, after that, she wrote a book called Better Than Before. Uh, a couple of things about Gretchen. One, she's just awesome and has been so uh, helpful to me, almost irrationally so, way before my book came out. She gave me all this advice and was just really, 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 really helpful. And she then, when I was starting this podcast, I basically imitate her. She wrote a book, I wrote a book, then she started a podcast, so I started a podcast. And when I was trying to figure out uh, how the hell to do this thing. She actually came on as our first guest, which actually you can go back and listen to if you scroll through the feed on, on, on the podcast. Um, and at that time, what we talked about was her then current book uh, called Better Than Before, which was all about uh, how we make and break habits, which is just so central to our happiness and our health. And uh, one of the things uh, that she came up with in that book was this framework that she called the four tendencies that kind of breaks down how different people uh, respond to expectations, inner expectations and outer expectations. Obviously, that's a huge component of, of how we make or break habits. So why this is relevant and, and germane when it comes to meditation is because that is a, a habit that a lot of people struggle uh, to to establish. In fact, I'm writing a whole book about how to overcome the major obstacles to establishing a uh, a meditation um, habit, at, which comes out at New Year's, by the way. But anyway, we're here to talk about uh, Gretchen because she's got a new book now that's dedicated entirely to these four tendencies, and they're fascinating to be able to hear sort of where where do you fit within these tendencies and how can you use this understanding of your own sort of tendencies when it comes to expectations um, so that you can set up a framework that allows you to do the things you need to do to take care of yourself. Really fascinating stuff, and she's, as you're going to hear, just a just a lot of fun. So here she is, Gretchen Rubin. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Well, congratulations on the new book. Oh, thank you. It's sort of cool to have you back here since you were the first ever guest. I know. I feel very special. I was like the inaugural, inaugural guest appearance. Experimental. Yes. Very patient. Doing it in in my living room with uh, cats, and you don't even like cats. Well, I'm allergic to cats. I like them. And cats <laughs> sense if you're allergic, and they come bounding towards you and yes, rub up do. against you. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, but it was fun. It was did a we? Lot did, fun. I can't remember. Did we make you take Claritin or something like that? No, I meant that bad. If I don't pet them, I'm okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Or or if you just avert your gaze. <laughs> yes, but that was fun. It was fun. It was fun. Um, so the four tendencies. Yeah. The new book. Yes. Give me the lowdown. I've read. Actually, I have to say, um, I've because I've been so tied up in writing my next book. Yes. I've read only parts of this new book. I really like it, and I really like it. Um, this is the writing in this one that I just really enjoy. I've always enjoyed your writing, but this one there's a real confidence. There's a real kind of light spirit to it, even though you're talking about big ideas. Oh well, that's nice to hear because I really did work hard to make it like fun and accessible mm-hmm. because. I'm really just laying out a framework, and that can get pretty dry and abstract. So I really tried to pump it up with like lots of examples from real life, or you know, funny anecdotes about pe- how it had come up in my own life, um, and try to make it more lively so that people could really imagine these four tendencies out in the world, not just sort of, 
You know, I started my career as a lawyer, and I always have to beware of when that lawyerly training comes creeping back into my writing. I have to fight it off. Well, I think you did so successfully on this one. Just by way of background, this emerged from your last book, Better Than Before, which was about habit formation. Am I saying that correctly, all that? Yeah, absolutely right. So in Better Than Before, I identified the 21 strategies that we can use to make or break our habits. And as I was identifying the 21 strategies, I was very struck by certain patterns that I saw, which was like some strategies seem to work really well for some people, but then really didn't work for other people. Well, why or why not? Or, Or why were certain people facing certain kinds of frustrations? Like, There was a big group of people who would say something like, well, I can always make time for other people, but I can't make time for myself. And that's why I can't keep my habit. And I was like, that's interesting because I don't I don't feel that problem. That's not a frustration that I face. So what do all these people have in common or just hearing how people approached it? I really started to sense these big patterns. And that's what turned into the four tendencies. But once my book Better Than Before came out, it was deluged with people who wanted to know really like sophisticated uh, advanced questions about the four tendencies. I'm a doctor. I want to use it with my patients, or I'm, you know, trying to use it in couples counseling, or wow, uh, yeah, and 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 asking me for more information. And so I really just decided I needed to think it through um, all the different aspects of the tendencies and, and and write a whole book that would be sort of the guide to how to think about them. We're going to walk through the tendencies yeah. systematically, but but do, do you? Is your vision that this will be something that will be adopted in a kind of a grand scale in doctors' offices, et cetera, et cetera? Well, that's my, you know, that's my hope, of course, um, because I really do feel like one of the things that's striking about the four tendencies is once once I say this framework, it's not subtle. It's really obvious. You will see it around you everywhere. You will see it in yourself and other people. And it really does offer you clues about how to work with other people more effectively. And so, like, there's starting to be research done in the healthcare field to try to validate this or to um, see how it works in practice. Um, the different people are using it in different ways to see if they can change the way they set up certain programs in order to increase people's um, adherence to medication or how how much they'll stick to a program. And so... Yeah, I mean, if, if if nothing but to help people take their medication, that would save billions of dollars and thousands of lives. So, you know, I hope that people do find it useful. You you make a kind of a and, and I apologize if I'm if I'm misremembering that yeah. this, but because uh, it was it's been a few weeks since I looked at your book when I was out at the beach on vacation. Uh-huh. Um, you make a kind of audacious claim that you feel like almost that you stumbled upon a, a law of nature. It feels that way. It does feel that way. Or maybe it's a muggle sorting hat. I don't know, you know, dividing people into four houses. But it really feels like when I when I finally came up, when I saw the pattern and how it fits together, it has sort of the elegance of nature. Everything is included. Um, nothing's left out. Nothing's left hanging. Um, it accounts for a lot. It's a very narrow framework, but it's very – it seems to really – be um, durable, you know, the more I, because I think about it constantly, like, well, what about this? And what about that? And somebody could argue this. And it feels like it's holding up to that. That's exciting. It is exciting. It is exciting. So let's walk through it because yes. I think it's, this is the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. are going to hear these what things. What are you? And, yeah, yeah. Wait, we, we, they want to know yeah. where do you fit in the yeah. tendency. So, yeah. so uh, you usually start with oblige. No, upholder. no, no, upholder, because you are an upholder. I am an upholder. Yes. yes. Okay. So the four tendencies are upholder, questioner, obliger, and rebel. 
And it has to do with how you respond to expectations, which sounds very dry, but ends up being very, very juicy to think about. So we all face outer expectations like a work deadline or a request from a friend. And then we all face inner expectations, which is our own desire to start meditating, our own desire to keep a New Year's resolution. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Then questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if it meets their inner standards. So they meet inner expectations. If they feel like something's arbitrary or unjustified or irrational, they won't do it. They will reject it. So if something meets their standard, they will meet that expectation. If they reject it as unjustified, they won't. Then obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So I got my glimpse into this when a friend said to me, because I am kind of this happiness bully that's always asking people how they could be happier. Um, My friend was like, well, I know I would be happier if I went running. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, why not? I would say, now having figured this out, she's an obliger. When she had a team and a coach waiting for her, expecting her, she had no trouble showing up. But when she's just trying to go on her own, she struggles. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectation, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. And if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. Typically, they don't even want to tell themselves what to do. Like, typically, they wouldn't sign up for a 10 a.m., Uh, woodworking class because they're like, I don't know what I'm going to want to do on Saturday. I don't know what I'm going to want to do in the morning. I don't want to like, why would I want to clog up my calendar? You know, I just want to feel free and do what I feel like doing. And rebels, and we'll get into this, they often get frustrated at themselves. Well, everybody gets frustrated. A lot of of us get frustrated with ourselves in different ways. I think it's a particular issue for rebels because a lot of things that work for the other tendencies don't work for rebels. So if, if you know you're a rebel, you know someone else is a rebel, it's kind of points you in a direction that might be very different from something that you would try with somebody from the other tendencies. Um, the, the, their perspective is quite different. So let's talk, let's go through these uh, from yeah. the beginning. Upholder. Yeah. Um, what are the characteristics of an upholder? How does how does habit formation or ha- breaking bad habits work in, in your life? Is right. it all easy for you yeah. if you're an upholder? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. It is easier. Uh, it is easier for me. And I remember, Dan, you and I, you have been trying to lead me to the path of meditation for a long time. You're the one, one of the people that got me to really try it. And I said to you, I was meditating and I got nothing out of it. And it was actually hard for me to stop meditating because it's like once I'd started the habit, I couldn't <laughs> stop. And you were like, that's funny because that's not usually the problem. People don't usually find it easy to form the habit of meditation, but then not. You're, you're literally the only person yes. I've ever heard this from. Right. So um, I know one day we will try again, you and I. No, uh, no, no. I'm, I, I, there's only one bully in this room. Yes, I know. You, By the way, you, you're you the, the lightest n- touch of anybody, which is probably why I was willing to try it again. I have a light touch, but I, but, but I want to just say in defense of you and your bullying, actually, it's really fun. Okay. <laughs> and actually, one of the things I want to do at the end of this is let you bully me on a, on oh. a rough score. So. Oh, good. Okay. Well, I look forward to that. Um. So, yeah, for upholders, it's easier to form habits. It's easier to meet expectations. And um, like with the Happiness Project, people would say to me, oh, well, how did you get yourself to do all that stuff that made you happier? And I said, well, I knew it would make me happier, so I just decided to do it. (laughs) And they would say, like, but how did you get yourself to do it? And I was like, I don't really understand what your issue is. Now I understand that I'm an upholder. And by the way, upholder is a very small tendency. Rebel is the smallest tendency. Upholder is only slightly larger. These are very, these are extreme personality types, pretty rare. The biggest one is obliger. That's, 
you either are an obliger or you have many obligers in your life, a lot of obligers and also lots of questioners. So most people are questioners or obligers. So so one of the things I learned about an upholder is like things do come more easily for me, like in habit formation than they do for other people. Upholders tend to be sort of self-starters. Um, they don't need a lot of supervision. They, they don't usually need a lot of accountability, but they can also seem judgmental because they don't understand why other people are struggling with things that are coming easy to them. They can seem rigid because they really want to stick to their, they want to meet outer and inner expectations. And so they can sometimes like, you know, like my sister makes, made fun of me because I was visiting her in Los Angeles and I stayed on East Coast time. So I just went to bed every night at seven. And she's like, you're kind of a killjoy. And I was like, well, yeah, but for me, it made sense and was, you know, made perfect sense. She she did not think she thought that was ludicrous. But I think it's ludicrous right. just for the record. OK, because, but I was like, but why would I like kind of make myself sick staying up late for like three nights? And just when I'm back on West, West just to West Coast time, then I have to go back to the East Coast. I know. I know. You know, I had all these. It's just people have different perspectives. Yes. It's not that one of us is right and one of us is wrong, but it's just like we have different views. So that's very upholder. Anyway, <laughs> there is sort of a. That's such a crazy story. I'm just, I mean, really? actually, I see the logic. Okay. I, see, I, see I the want logic. your listeners to write you and say, are they on Team Dan Elizabeth or Team Gretchen? I'm sure. If I'm, it's, it was three nights. I'm sure I have lots of crazy listeners who will be <laughs> on your team. I, I, no, I mean, I get it. Your logic actually is solid, but it's it's still a. It's still a, a bit of a um, unusual thing. To okay, do. but see, this is the thing. Like to me, it seemed perfectly logical. And it was just like, you're crazy. But yeah, okay. <laughs> so that's upholder. There you go with from upholder because they do seem sort of like extreme like that to other people. And then you know, then questioners. Hold on, hold oh. on one second. Let me just stay on upholder oh, for a second okay, because yeah. I think I may be an upholder. Do you think so? Maybe because I've been able to just based on my own inner expectations do some crazy habit formation stuff. Like I meditate two hours a day. I decided two years ago I was going to do that, and I do it. Um, I exercise six days a week, um, and actually recently I was at a birthday party for a guy you may have heard of named Strauss Zelnick. He's a a 60-year-old guy. He's super successful and incredibly fit, and he actually has a book coming out next year about how to stay fit into your uh, later years. And, um, And I was just really inspired by how fit he is and how happy he is and how great, you know, how close his friends were at age 60. And I um, just told myself, all right, I'm going to up my game. I need to do more exercise. Not crazy amounts, but just like instead of just doing 30 minutes of cardio, I'm going to need to really get back to going to a spin class or running the Central Park Loop or you know, working with my trainer in a harder way. And I've just done it. However, however, yeah, I know, and you and I have discussed this before right here on this show, that I know I need to quit sugar. Right. <laughs> and I've done it off and on. And, and in yeah. fact, I'm off sugar right now, uh, but haven't been able to make that stick. So I don't know. Food is a little tricky. I feel like you can't sort of always judge by food because that's like there's a lot of things going yes. on with eating habits yes. that com- are complicated. Well, do you feel like when you're changing that habit, is it because you're like, I understand now why I would do that? Like I've been convinced by the reasoning of it and why this is the efficient way to do it? Or is it more like this is just what I want to do for myself? You know, it may be that I'm a questioner in that sense because – for example, with sugar, I've, as you know, I've quit many times. Uh, about a, eight days ago, I texted my wife after a night where we had had a bunch of sugar, and I was feeling awful. Yeah. And I said, when am I going to admit that I'm poisoning myself? And mm. she said, you just did. Let's quit together. And uh. actually, the fact that we're doing it together, I actually have some hope 
uh-huh. that will, this will be able to stick. And I always talk about you. I say yeah. um, uh, uh, um, that you, as Gretchen says, that you, that you just decided one day, I'm a person who doesn't eat sugar. Yeah. You can make me a birthday cake, but yeah. I won't eat it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. uh, that has had such a powerful resonance for me. And I know that I'm so addictive to me, yes. you said this thing about how when you stopped eating sugar, it ended this like, yes. conversation that the was noise. so boring. Yes. Right? And I w- I'm having that conversation all the time. Like, well, maybe I'll have it after dinner tonight. Yes. What am I going to feel yes. like tomorrow? Oh, yes. it's, it's so, so boring. boring. Oh, it's tiring. It's really tiring. And oh, I- and it's sort of the half self-control, like, ugh. Yes. You know? Yes. Or yes. like my favorite thing. Some people can do moderation. Oh, no, no, no. Yes, absolutely. And I talked about that in Better Than Before. Some people can do moderation. But like my favorite example was I sat in a meeting for two and a half hours with a plate of cookies in the middle and I didn't eat it a cookie the whole time and then on my way out the door I ate three cookies because it's like it finally just the clock had run out Mm -hmm. you know and I the whole time it had just been draining my (laughs) self-control you know now it's just like oh you can put up these freshly baked Toll House cookies are right next to me and I just want to eat them so and I think where I'm at now with well if if somebody put freshly baked cookies in front of me I would I would I'd be feeling a lot of because I have a pronounced addictive tendency I'd be feeling a lot but I think now I'm starting to see that if I ate them, I would be so miserable. Yes. And I I just had to have my face shoved into the poop so many times like a dog, you know, who poops on the rug and has to be taught over and over and over again. And I I wonder whether maybe I'm now at the point where, like, uh, okay, I get it now. But see, this is a great example, even, like, taking your, your specific example out of it, of, like, why knowing your tendency can be helpful to you if you're trying to make a change. Because let's say you're trying to quit sugar. If you know that you're a questioner, I would say go deep into knowledge, read all the books, get the information, really get clarity on why this is what you want. This is the thing that's going to work for you. This is why it's justified. This is the research that's going to back it up. Uh, this is why it's going to be customized for you. You're going to tweak it so it's just right for you. This is, this is you really understand why you're doing something. If you're an obliger, I would say go deep into outer accountability. That's what works for obligers. Think about, let's do it together. Think about your need to create a sugar-free environment for your son. Think about, um, I need to set a good example for the people who work for me. Think about, I need to be healthy into my older years, and if I quit now, I know that you know as a 60, 70, 80-year-old, I'm going to have much better health, and so the people who rely on me are going to have me for the long term. There's a million ways to build in outer accountability. That's what obligers need. Rebel, what do you want? What do you choose? You want to be free. What kind of person do you want to be? So then I would say, say things to yourself like, I'm not addicted to sugar. They can't fool me with their big marketing campaigns and their crinkly packages. They can't addict me with their chemicals and their bad sugar. I'm free. I can do whatever I want, and I choose to be a healthy, energetic person. These are different. Like, they're all right. These are all way approaches. But when you know your tendency, you can kind of go deep into the values of your tendency and you can sort of push the buttons that are going to be probably most likely to resonate with you. And if you're trying to help someone else, if I'm your doctor and you're saying to me, doctor, I really want to do this. If I knew your tendency, then I could start talking to you in the way that would probably be the most likely. If you're a rebel, I shouldn't tell you to join an accountability group. If you're an obliger, I shouldn't hand you a giant stack of studies. You know, and if you're an upholder, I should just be like, hey, let's just sit down and talk about why the time is right for you to do this. And you'd be like, OK. This is why I think I'm probably an upholder with shades of questioner and obliger in there, which is what I like about your tendencies, actually, because they start to have overlaps in the Venn diagram. I did. You take the there is a quiz at happiercast.com slash quiz. You can take a quiz. Say the URL. Again, it's so. happiercast.com slash quiz. I'm coming up on like a million people having taken this nice. quiz. And it's in the book, too. Yeah. It's in the four tendencies. Um, 
How do you feel about New Year's resolutions? I think they're arbitrary and stupid. Okay, that's questioner right there. <laughs> bing, 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 bing. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's a questioner answer. I think you're a questioner. Okay. I All think right. you're a questioner who has like to, the minute, when you see that something makes sense for you, you're able to execute, and that's very questioner. Okay. All yeah. right. I buy that. Yeah. I buy that. It makes sense. Whenever somebody journalist. says the word arbitrary, that's like, you know, all the bells go off. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So is that the next um, bucket we're diving into? Yeah. or Questioner. Uh, okay. So the value of questioners is that questioners are very focused on reasons and justifications. So like if you have a questioner in your life or at work or something, they're the ones that are like, why are we doing this? Is this a big waste of time? Is there a better way to do this? Why are, you know, the fact that we've always done something a certain way or because you're telling me to do it isn't convincing. And so they really keep everybody on track to spend their time, their energy, their money most efficiently because they're the ones that are going to protest. On the other hand, questioners sometimes drain and overwhelm other people with their questions. You know, they ask a lot of questions and uh, others may be like, we've, we've talked about this so long, we don't need to talk about it anymore. You're a drag. Uh, sometimes they can seem uh, like insubordinate or not team players. Or like if you're a questioner child questioning a teacher, you could seem disrespectful. Um, if you're saying like, well, why should I memorize the multiplication tables? I can just look on my phone or on a calculator and look it up. Like this makes no sense. And the teacher's like, because I say so, because all fourth graders have to learn their multiplication tables. Well, that questioner child is like not convinced (laughs) by that. They need a robust explanation. They can sometimes have analysis paralysis, which is when they want perfect information before they make a decision. And so they just stall out because they're getting more and more and more information. That can also drain them and drain the people around them. Uh, I mean, I'm married to a questioner, so I'm very aware of the pros and cons of being around questioners. And they're great because they're like, why would we do this? It doesn't make sense. So they save you a lot of time and effort. But they can, it can be tiring to be around somebody who's just, like my husband like will not do something if he doesn't know why. And like, I'm just like, just do it because I tell you to. <laughs> It's like, no, he needs to know why. So fair enough, I've learned. But one of the good things about knowing the tendencies is like, he's like this all the time. It's not about me and our relationship. He's like this with everybody. And there's a lot of people who are just like him. So I don't have to feel, I can feel like it's uh, a drag, but I don't have to take it personally. Right. Because it's just his nature. Actually, there's qu- something quite Buddhist in that, actually, that we have, that that to learn to um, take stuff about ourselves and others less personally. Yes. No, I think the four tendencies really helps with that because you're like, it's not a reflection on the way you think about me. It's just the way you approach the world. Right. And that's that's fine. And and a lot of times it's not that there's a right way and a wrong way. It's just that people are coming from different places. But I, so I mean, I think you're probably right that I'm a questioner. But I I do I do have a tendency on some levels to actually kind of just go along sometimes. So I don't know how to, how that fits. Well, maybe because it's more efficient to do that. You maybe it tends to be when I'm overloaded or when I'm d- just don't feel like thinking hard about something. I I'll, well, I'll rush and well, just say yes to something. Well, or this whatever. is the thing that a lot of questioners complain about. It's exhausting to be a questioner. It's really tiring. And in fact, I've talked to people who, like, will have questioner like I, they're a questioner. They want a questioner partner in a business, or they're married to a questioner because they're like, it's so much work to be a questioner. But if I'm partnered with a questioner, I can trust that they will have the same thoroughness. And I, so I can trust their decisions because most people I feel like don't make don't really make reasoned judgments. I often hear this from questioners. They're like, "Why do other why are other people like lemmings? They just go along with everything. They never right. ask questions. It's tiring to be a questioner." So that's interesting. So so I've partnered with this guy Ben Rubin, yes. no relation to you, CEO of the Ten Percent Happier Company, 
he questions a lot, um, uh, and I find it deeply comforting yes. to know yes. he's. I've outsourced a lot yes. of my analysis to this guy. Yes. Let him worry about it. Yes, and that's one of the ways that, man, that questioners can manage uh, analysis paralysis or question overwhelm. It's either by setting deadlines, like I'm going to make a decision by Friday. Like at some point, any decision is better than no decision, so I'm going to decide by Friday. By setting limits, I'm going to investigate 10 software progr- accounting software programs, but not 30 software programs, or a trusted authority. This is a person who I, I trust. I trust their judgment and their expertise. If something's good enough for them, I can be very guided by their judgment. And so by allowing, but he's a questioner. So you know that he's not going to just wave his hand to things without understanding the reasons why. So that's, uh, that's I, a great way for you to alleviate your kind of cognitive load by delegating to him a lot of uh, research and decision-making yes, that you would yes. otherwise have to do yourself. I hope I'm categorizing him correctly in terms of the tendencies, but at the very least we can say he's really smart yeah. and I don't have to worry that he's going to make a dumb decision and actually then I don't have to worry about doing the deciding myself. Well, having really met tired. him, it rings true to me that he's a questioner. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he kind of has that. But what? So one of the things that's really interesting, I mentioned this before, is that you set up the four tendencies as kind of overlapping yeah. Venn diagrams that, you know, you can be a questioner with... Who tips. Who tips in one way. Yes. Because questioners in some ways are like upholders because questioners and upholders both readily meet inner expectations. But questioners also overlap with rebels because questioners and rebels both resist outer expectations. So you can have, like my husband is an upholder who tips, uh, is a questioner who tips to upholders. So he, it's pretty easy to convince him to go along with things. Like it's easy for him to see why you would do things. Some questioners are, they're very, very hard to convince. They really, really, really resist anything that to them seems arbitrary or unjustified. So for instance, they might not drive 65 miles an hour because they're like, that's an arbitrary limit. Like I'm a really good driver. I should be able to drive as fast as I, sh- I can. And you're like, well, it doesn't work like that. Or like, why five garments in a, in a dressing room? That makes no sense. I'm going to take in 10. You know, or somebody who wrote it, she's like, I go into the, my, the playground near my house has a sign saying that you're not supposed to go in if you're not accompanied by a minor. But I do it all the time because I'm not going to do anything to hurt anybody. And I was like, well, do you think everybody should be able to live their life that way? <laughs> and she was like, well, maybe not now that you mention it. And I was just like, because she was a questioner who tipped to rebel. So, so I, what I like about this is there's a range. There is a range. I'm, a, I guess, a questioner, but I, I, I would follow those rules. Yes. So I'm probably a questioner who tips upholder. I think you are. I think you are. Because I I, you part are. of me does just – I'm a bit – on some levels, I can be kind of, in some contexts, a bit of a rule follower. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the other yeah. thing about this is that there's variability, and those variabilities – the variability can depend in, in part on context. Well, I it's – like you're different with your parents and their rules than you might be with teachers and their rules. I, mean, I just took my kid yesterday for his first meeting at his school, and they were telling us that many kids are much better behaved at school than they are at home. Right, right. Well, that probably has to do with anxiety, I think. And that's one of the things that's really important to understand about the tendencies is this is something that only describes a very narrow aspect of your nature, which is how do you respond to expectations. So you're a questioner, and we could line up 50 questioners. And depending on how ambitious they were, how considerate of other people's feelings they were, how intellectual they were, how curious they were, how adventurous they were, how extroverted or introverted they were, how neurotic they were, all these things could mix up in all different ways. And so you'd look very different from each other. But as to I'm going to ask you to do something, you're going to say to me, why should I? That's the, what the question says. Why should I? 
you're all going to respond that way to an expectation. But like a really smart questioner is different from a pretty ignorant questioner. Right. Gotcha. You know, very intellectual gotcha. questioner. Um, and same thing like a rebel. Sometimes people are like, oh, rebels are selfish. Not necessarily. Some rebels are incredibly considerate of other people, have very high ideals, high ambitions for themselves. But then there are some rebels who don't really care what other people think of them. That's going to look being a rebel is going to look very different depending on how it's mixed up with these other characteristics. But are you going to say that there's no overlap between a questioner and an obliger? Right, because they're sort of the opposite of each other. But, just as just as a, oblige, a rebels and upholders are opposite. But I do feel like I do better with sometimes with accountability. Like when when I wanted to quit sugar, yeah. now when I as I want to quit sugar, it's so important to me that my wife's in it with me. Like I'd probably go vegan if my wife was in it. You know, if she wanted to do it. Um, but is that partly just because of the way your life is set up? Yeah, no, it's all about that. Right, but what if your wife? Set up your life so that you were quitting sugar, but then, but you knew that when she went to work, she was eating sugar. Would that matter to I you? I don't care. No. Well, see, that's the thing. It's just, it's just you're trying to create a circle, like situation that is going to support you. I guess on the on the margins, I do. It would be fun for us to really be in it together. Well, that'd and, make it more fun. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. And I think it might make it stickier, the habit or the lack of habit, whatever. Uh, well, now we're getting back into like my kind of stuff I talked about in Better Than Before. And one of the things is the influence of other people, which no matter what your tendency, you're very affected by what the people around you are doing. Also, things like convenience or inconvenience. It's more convenient to eat no sugar if no one's bringing sugar into your household and no one's ordering yes. dessert when you yes. go to a restaurant. Yes. And nobody's saying like, hey, let's stop up at this cute little cafe and get a croissant because you guys don't eat that stuff. It's just easier. Right. So you're not saying that makes me an obliger. You're saying that doesn't necessarily make me an obliger. Right. It's just kind of a different uh, – right. it's a different – this is very narrow. This is how yeah. do you respond to yeah. expectations. So, not- for an obli- so like if you answer yes to the question, promises to other people can be broken. Can't, promises to other people cannot be broken. Promises to myself can be broken. See, as an upholder, I don't agree with that. Promises to myself are just as important as promises to other people. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, in theory, I would say I um, could break both under well, the right circumstances. I would break a promise to somebody. So else. here's another thing and about under questioners. The right this is making me think you're a questioner because questioners don't see themselves in the, like the other three tendencies. See how they're different from other ones, and the questioners see themselves in the other tendencies more, so they feel like they're more of a mix. <laughs> like, I was talking to a high school student, and he was like, well, sometimes I'm a holder and sometimes I'm a rebel. And I said, well, give me an example. And he says, when I have a teacher I respect who gives me an assignment, I do it right away, like an upholder. But when a teacher I don't respect gives me an assignment, I refuse, so I'm a rebel. And I'm like, no, you're a questioner, because your first question is, why would I listen to you? And so seeing yourself in all of the tendencies is kind of a questioner thing, because they're like, well, under certain circumstances, you know, it's very questioner to be like, oh, I can think of this exception. Um, or, you know, what about this? Uh, whereas, like, if you're an upholder, you get it. You're like, oh, yeah, what is the deal with other people? So for the last And obligers are like, oh, my gosh, now I understand why I could only go to my exercise class when I went with my friend to that place where the teacher was, like, so hardcore if we didn't show up. And you're like, yes, it's the accountability. Or the rebel who's like, ah, now I understand why I can't use to-do lists. You know, yes. As they say at Amica, empathy is our best policy. Whether you need auto, home, or life insurance, they're ready to help you protect the things that matter most to you. They're a mutual company, customer-owned, in service to you. Amica representatives are here when you need them, and you can take comfort knowing a real person will be there on the phone to take care of you because the greatest measure of their success is your satisfaction.
You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill, credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. So for the last 20 minutes, everything I've said has basically just confirmed your thesis. I think so. I think so. <laughs> Fair I enough. Think... I'm happy to do that. So let's yeah. go to Obliger. Okay. So Obliger is the largest tendency. So it's important for everybody to think about Obligers because you either are one or you've got a lot in your life. They're the rock of the world. They're type O, meaning that they partner up the best with all the other tendencies. They're great at meeting outer expectations, but they often get frustrated with themselves because they're not meeting their inner expectations. Now, the solution the answer for this is so simple, and it is an obliger must create systems of outer accountability in order to meet an inner expectation. So if you want to exercise, you would sign up for a class. You would go with a friend who's annoyed if you don't show up. You're going to work out with a trainer. You're going to join an accountability group. You're going to focus on if you don't go running, your dog doesn't get his daily run, and he's going to be so disappointed. You're going to think about, oh, I'm going to raise money for this by doing this 5K, so this Charity that's really important to me is going to make more money. I'm going to model good behavior for the people in my household. These are for, I'm going to think about my future self. Oh, well, Dan right now doesn't want to go, but future Dan is going to feel bad if he doesn't exercise. So I, I owe it to future Dan. There's a million ways to build in outer accountability, but that is what is necessary. And obligers sometimes don't want that. They're like, I want to develop, you know, inner motivation. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't really work. <laughs> don't bother with that. That takes, that's really hard. It's Just, not you. Yeah, just, you know, and it's a huge tendency. So just build in these forms of outer accountability. If you want to read more, join a book group. You know, it's like very straightforward once you realize that that is what is missing. We talked about this um, a little bit, this, this tendency um, on the last podcast. And my wife, somebody listened to it and said to my wife, oh, I, I hear you're an obliger with a rebel uh, ah. uh, uh, leaning because we yes. had diagnosed yeah, you yeah. that way. And she now has thought about it for uh, a year or so since the podcast and really agrees. Oh, yeah. Well, so here's something that everyone who is an obliger or particularly is married to an obliger or works with an obliger should be aware of, which is this phenomenon of obliger rebellion. Yes, Have I've you, seen it. Okay. Well, let yeah. me explain it and then you give your example because it's fascinating. So obliger rebellion is when an obliger meets, 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 meets an expectation and then suddenly they snap and mm -hmm. they're like, this I will not do. And it can be small, um, sort of a little symbolic thing, or it can be huge. Like, ending a relationship, uh, blowing up a friendship of many years, quitting a job, or, or just like having sort of a, like a, like a, a shouting fit where everybody around you is sort of like, where is this coming from? It seems very uncharacteristic. Nobody had any sense that it was coming. Um, obligers themselves often say that it feels out of character or it feels like an explosion. It's, it's, it's not a controlled burn. It's big. <laughs> um, and the thing about Obliger Rebellion, which it took me a while to understand, is that it's meant to be helpful. It's meant to save obligers from, from places where they're being exploited or taken advantage of or where expectations are just too high or unrealistic. It's, the, it's like pulling the emergency ripcord. It gets them out. It ends the situation. But it can be very destructive as it's unfolding. And so it's much better for everybody if you try to get in front of the feelings of deep resentment and burnout that lead to Obliger Rebellion and try to stop it from actually 
working its way to the surface um, by dealing with those feelings before they, they come to a boil. So how have you seen this in your wife? Uh, well, I definitely see the obliger part uh, in a in, – she just describes who she is in many ways. Mm. Her, whole, she's, her whole life is – she's a doctor. Yeah. She's really um, uh, lived with this ethos of service to other people. Yeah. Um, but but she doesn't she she lets herself down a lot. You mm-hmm. know, I, I, I see it. It's yeah. painful for her. Yeah. Um, and as a questioner, you're probably like, if you say this is important to you, like, why aren't you doing I it? I don't I, I I don't get it. You know, like yes. she lives with somebody who's so disciplined on yes. some things. I'm obviously not disciplined about sugar, but the exercise and the meditation. I mean, like nobody has to get on me about it. I'm just doing it. But see, and this is why obligers. They often. This is a really unfortunate thing about obligers. They often blame themselves. They're like, "I'm lazy. I lack willpower. Yeah. Why can't yes. I do? Yes. I'm close to somebody who's doing something so easily. Yes. Why do I struggle? It's like, hey, there's nothing wrong with you. There are a ton of people exactly like you. This is easy to fix. Build in that outer accountability, and you can. You can get what you want. Well, so a great example of that. It's so nice to hear this. Like I'm kind of channeling Bianca right now. I'm sure that would be when she listens to this, that's going to feel very good for her. Uh, But as an example, we were on vacation recently and um, uh, I was exercising every every day. (laughs) And and I was going to – I was doing something that I normally don't do, which is I was going to soul cycle. I mean Uh I like spin, but soul cycle sometimes I feel like is a little much. But – but anyway, I w- it, there was one right nearby, yeah. so I was going a lot, and I was enjoying it. And I kind of ha- half-heartedly said to my wife, you know, you should come. And uh, I, she kind of surprised me by saying yes, but I knew she regretted it immediately. But she had said yes, and so I, I knew she would come. Yeah. And as soon as we walked in there, she was like, oh, my God, I hate this. You know, yeah. just because there was so many people in there, yeah. and she's a little bit – she doesn't – she's shy. Yeah. And so during it's an the- intense – Yes. If you haven't been to Soul Cycle, I've never been, but I've seen it. It's like it's pretty intense. It's an, it's spin a lot classes. happening. Yes, yeah. loud music. And, yeah. Well, all spin classes are kind of have and your close music. proximity. You're, People are sweating. Absolutely. It's a lot going on. And in spin and in Soul Cycle, there's a whole. I, I I've been spinning for a long time just because it's a good workout, even though I kind of hate it when I'm doing it. Um, but Soul Cycle in particular yes. has this whole rah rah soul yeah. aspect to it, which. I've built a whole career of rebelling against. Me, so <laughs> I'm sure if any uh, like people who like my book would probably be surprised that I would go to Soul Cycle. But anyway, uh, it was convenient, and uh, so I'm I'm in Soul Cycle this time with my wife, and the whole time I'm thinking, God, I'm sure she's going through the yeah. stages of grief right yeah, now, yeah, and yeah, like yeah, she's yeah, gonna regret. hate me. We walk out. She's on. Unc- she loved it. She really loved it. Absolutely loved it, and has been going back. And we've been going as a couple. Ah, and you know, we've got so. so I think there's something about the class structure Ooh. that's really important to her. Well, and you really feel like you're recognized and part of it. It's like yes. you're not just in the back, like doing your thing. Yes. Like Soul Cycle is like we're part of this together. Yes. It's sort of like a team feeling. What she doesn't like, if you go to some spin classes or group exercise classes, the instructor will come around to you yeah. and kind of get in your face or critique yeah. you in some way. I actually like that. Yeah. Um, but she hates that ah. and will quit. And there's the rebel. So she she doesn't she doesn't want to feel judged. She yeah. doesn't want to like you like getting in her face and like pushing her too hard. She wants to be kind of left alone to do this thing. She likes to be feeling part of the group and yeah. she, she we have a trainer we work with yeah. too who and she likes that accountability trainer, yeah. but she doesn't want to be judged. So he, that is a very very important point which is when it comes to outer accountability there's tremendous variation among what works for obligers. So one of the variations is exactly the thing you just pointed out. Some obligers 
only like sort of positive reinforcement. So they want somebody to be like, it's so great. I, you know, like you come home and you're like, I can't believe it. You've exercised four times in a row. That is great. Like you must feel so good. And you're like, yes, somebody's noticing that I'm doing it. I feel like there's accountability there, but it's positive accountability. And so if you're that kind of person, you want to make sure that you set up your accountability structure in a way that it doesn't feel judgy. It doesn't feel negative because that might just make you drop it altogether. Other obligers, like some obligers, feel very obligated if they pay for something. Like if they pay for an exercise class, they're going to go because they're like, I have to go because I paid. Some obligers almost feel off the hook if they paid. It's kind of like, well, I paid for it. That's like as good as going. I'm like, well, that's not working for you. (laughs) Somebody said to me in all seriousness, she's like, well, I I, I made all these appointments with a trainer. But then I realized if I don't go, he still gets paid and he gets the time back. So she felt obligated not to go. And I was like, this is not working for you. Is it, you know what I mean? Like, what, did you, what did you advise her to do? I was like, get, you need to get another another uh, accountability structure. But here's, so I belong to like a high intensity strength training gym. And so you have an appointment with a trainer and it works really well for people who need accountability. But I said to them, and I really want to try to get them to do this. You should give people the option that if they don't come, you will charge them triple. Don't just don't require that. Say you offer it as an option. Because I bet some people would take it because they know they might skip it if they're just paying for the session. But if they're paying triple for the session, that raises the stakes. And they might opt into that in order to have the accountability. Um, You know, an accountability group. This is something a lot of people use. Like you're trying to write your PhD thesis. You're trying to lose weight. Whatever it is, you have a group and the group is going to hold you accountable. But one thing is for people who are very introverted, maybe they don't like to go to a group and have a conversation. That makes it sort of less appealing. I have this app, the Better app, where people can join and talk about the four tendencies. And one of the things they can do is form an accountability group. And I think it's something that's very attractive to people who are really busy and want the convenience of using an app, but also people who don't really necessarily want to be face-to-face for accountability. They want to have a little bit they want to do it in a way where it's a little at a, more of a remove. That feels more comfortable to them. So Rebels. So Rebels, tremendous upside and also some frustrations um, on their own part and of others. So Rebels are extremely in touch with what they want and what they choose. They're very eager to be authentic to themselves. They're very it's e- easy for them to think unconventionally. They might delight in breaking convention and going out, you know, thinking outside the box um, but it, the fact that you're going to resist if somebody asks or tells you to do something can't even yourself can cause issues. So if you are a rebel or you're dealing with a rebel, the two things that kind of work if you're trying to get that rebel to do something, one is to think about identity because rebels can do anything they want to do. And so if they choose, if they think I choose to be a responsible leader, I, res- I, I choose to be a loving, consistent parent. I choose to be a considerate member of this team. Then they can do the things, even the things that feel uncomfortable to them, because it's part of expressing their nature. Mm-hmm. The other thing they can do is think about, and this works if you're communicating with a rebel, is information, consequences, choice. Give the, inf- the information the rebel needs, tell them the consequences of their action or inaction, and then let them choose how to act. So you might say, well... You know, at the weekly staff meeting, which, you you know, you haven't been coming for a while, but what we do at that staff meeting typically is we decide the projects, how we're going to divide up the upcoming projects for the next, you know, couple months. If you go to the meeting, you get to, you know, argue for what you want. If you don't go to the meeting, everybody else takes the interesting projects and you're left with the boring dregs. The meeting's at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays. 
So <laughs> come if you want. You know what I mean? And then it's just like, okay, well, you can come or not if you want. But I'm not going to check on you. I'm not going to remind you. It's up to you. But you can't protect or insulate a rebel from the negative consequences of a choice or a failure to choose. And that can be painful. It's like painful to let a rebel child suffer consequences. Sometimes if you're like married to a rebel, those consequences could fall on you. Yeah. Um, but that's that's what works. And rebels over and over. And, and don't nag and don't remind. The more you nag and remind rebels, the more you ignite the spirit of resistance. Because mm. they might want to do something, but if you tell them to do it, then they're like, well, I'm not going to because you're not the boss of me. So I'm trying to figure out if my two-year-old is a rebel because he's a rebel or because he's two. Well, two is pretty young. Yeah. Rebel does – many rebels – interestingly, have just spontaneously emailed me to say that they remember the moment in early childhood where they realized that no one could make them do something. Like, So I think it can kick in. Your tendency can kick in very early. Two is probably, you're not really, I, I don't think you have fully evolved consciousness at that point probably. probably yeah, but, yep, just, and it's even hard you know, all through high school because they're just not autonomous in the way that adults are. They're not making decisions right. the way adults are. So it's, it could be hard to tell. Sometimes it's very easy to tell, but sometimes it's hard to tell. There's no way in which my son is fully evolved. Yeah, well, he's two. <laughs> right, right. Let's hope. Yeah. I, I keep telling him he can uh, he can have more agency when he stops pooping his pants. Oh, right. Okay, that's the key thing. Okay, that's but, the milestone. The, also, but what it does work with him, though, is explain is giving him a choice. Mm, you know, yeah. that really, it's like the magic thing. If we say... All right. Do you uh, want to go to bed right now? Uh, with the consequences, like you can either go to bed right now and you'll get five stories, or you can not listen to us and you're not going to get any stories, nor will you get your milk. Well, I think that for a lot of children, that works because they do feel such a lack of agency, and so it gives them a sense of control. So that might not be related to tendency, right? Um, but certainly with rebels. Uh, like older rebel or children that you know are rebels, it's very helpful to say, uh, like something like, well, you know, if you go outside on a bright sunny day, you could get a really bad sunburn, which is going to really hurt. Your skin can even blister and peel. Uh, and then you're stuck inside all day pl- while your friends are outside playing because you've got to recover from your, su- your sunburn. So do you feel like wearing a long sleeve T-shirt and a baseball cap or do you prefer to wear sunscreen lotion? Information, consequences, choice. Right, right. And then if the kid's like, I don't want to do it, it's like, okay, see how that goes for you. You know what I mean? Um, because, and I think sometimes people are like, well, you can't go outside without sunscreen. Yes, you can. You can. You can. And a rebel knows that. You can go outside without sunscreen. It can happen. It is possible. This is what I learned as an upholder from the rebels. I'm like, we're way more free than we think. There's a yeah. lot of things yeah. you feel like you have to do that actually you don't have to do. Right. So so we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, um, but just talk again about what you think the consequences and potential use are of this this uh, framework. This framework that you set out. Thank you. I was having a fit. Uh, I think it comes into play in two ways. One is with yourself. You want to manage yourself. So, you know, you want to quit sugar. What's the best way for you to quit sugar? Or I want to write a novel in my free time, and yet I never miss a deadline at work, and yet why am I not working on my novel? Okay, how might I address that? Why, how could I understand what's stopping me or frustrating me? Um, but then it's also other people. So there's managing yourself, and then there's also dealing with other people. So I have a conflict with my coworker who keeps questioning every decision I make, and I'm like, why doesn't he trust my authority? Why doesn't he defer to my – this is my area? Like, why do I have to keep, like, fielding these phone calls and emails – I feel like he's attacking me. Oh, 
Maybe he's not attacking me. Maybe this is just his way. Maybe he's a questioner. Maybe he thinks he's adding value to the process. You know, I don't have to be angry about it. I could say to him, you know what, I feel like I'm spending too much time answering your questions. Like, we need to come up with a better way to deal with this. But I don't have to be as uh, unsettled by it. Or let's say you're a doctor and you're trying to get people to take their medication. It's like, why aren't they taking their medication, right? Why don't people take their medication? Some research suggests that up to 50% of American adults don't take prescription medication for a chronic health condition. And it's not like they're like, I'm convinced that this medicine is worthless. It's like, no, you, they probably be like, yeah, I probably should take that medicine. So why don't they? I think that the four tendencies gives you a lot of strategies for how you might communicate with such a person more effectively. So how do you see this going? How do you see greater adoption playing out if it does happen? You know, I think, I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to get the word out as much as I can. And I've already started, ever since Better Than Before came out, I have started hearing from people who are using it in different ways. And that's super fascinating to me, of course, um, and how they communicate with people. Um, So I don't really have a grand plan for how to launch this into the world of ideas other than to write a book and hope that a lot of people, I mean, I kind of feel like it's, it's the sort of thing where the proof is in the pudding, where if people read this or hear about it and it resonates with them and they're able to make an important change or have an important insight into themselves or other people, you know, that's, that's what's going to make people think like, yeah, there's really something here. Final couple of minutes, totally selfish request, but, but yes. like the idea that you're a happiness bully. Like, yes. I just want to take advantage of that. Uh, yeah, you know, let like, me. What is that? Like, how yeah. could I be happier and how would you bully me in, into doing that? Well, what do you feel like is getting in your way? You seem like a pretty happy guy. No, I am a pretty happy guy. Sugar you, was a, it yeah. was and is so a So tell guy. me, take me through your strategies for how you're going to you're gonna approach this. I'm not going to put anything with sugar in, in my mouth. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. Okay, so let me give you some liminal situations. Yes. Uh, What about bread? Uh, So I actually, my secret plan is uh, no sugar and no flour. Okay, well, we need clarity here. You're a questioner, so we need absolute clarity on what is being being demanded of you. Well, because Bianca has not signed on to the Oh, I see. Okay, so you need to have a consultation. Okay, but what you would ideally do is say... No. Now, is that wheat flour? Does that include pasta? Yes. Okay. So no flour, no sugar. Yes. Okay. Yes. What about honey, which many people feel like is a doesn't, magical doesn't elixir of life? Good. No, it's sugar. No, it's sugar. Yes. Maple sugar is sugar. Yes. sugar. Yes. Ketchup is sugar. Yeah, I don't really eat ketchup. Okay. Ketchup is, is maple syrup for hamburgers. <laughs> um, uh, okay. So you're going to quit sugar. So And you hope that you're going to do it together. Yes. And so you're not going to buy anything for your household. Well, we have a kid who eats, a, you know, we let him have a little bit of sugar. So there's that. That makes Ooh. things difficult. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So, But I, I can, I think, I think really the key for me in this one was, I think, <laughs> we may talk in two weeks and this is all obliterated, but I think the key really is, is about seeing, is being able to finally get that if I do this thing, it's like when I quit doing drugs, you yeah. know, like I just You've got, gone through it. I didn't want to have more panic attacks. Like right. I just got it. I got it. I had two panic attacks on the air. It was horrible. I get it. I'm not doing that again. I like drugs a lot. I mean, I'm yeah. a, I have a, an addictive tendency, but I'm not doing it again because there was very compelling reason not to. And every time I have sugar, the entire next day is a waste. So, and I'm just beckoning you from the far shore saying, if you never have it, you don't want it. You will not care. It will not bother you. You will not be filled with regret. 
It's it's you the, ju- the more you yes. don't have it, yeah. the easier it is. I think sometimes people feel like, well, if I if I don't have something, my desire for it is going to build and build yeah. and build, yeah, and yeah. it's going to overwhelm me, and I'm just going to have this kind of crash. Now, this gets into the whole abstainer moderator thing, which I'll talk about in better than before, because some people are better off having a little bit. They're better off having something sometimes. If you're an abstainer, if you feel like it's easier to have none, and clearly you're somebody who Definitely. feels like it's easier to have none, you're not going to have one square of fine chocolate a day. It's like a whole sleeve of, of Oreos or none, which is exactly the way I am. Um, the longer you go without it, the less you want it. It gets easier, not harder. That really has been my experience. I, I believe that. Again, I'm just going to revert to my Buddhist thing again. But they, they're, they're, it's about kind of feeding patterns of thought. So f- I can see how somebody who's a, a moderator, yeah. like actually the way to tamp down on the voice in your head talking about sugar all the time would be to just give yourself that one thing. Right. Yeah, that one square of chocolate yeah. a day. It like shuts everything down. Yeah. But for me, no. knowing that the square yes. is an option uh, just ramps everything oh, up. Yes. yes. Oh, one square, two squares, yes, three squares. Exactly. It's raining. It's my birthday. After the day <laughs> yeah. I've had, I ha- should have more. Uh, you only live once. Life's too short not to have a bar of chocolate. Exactly. I mean, oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, well, so I, one of the things I would say is go deep into your questioner side, which is I'm sure you've read all the stuff about sugar and how it's bad for you. Have you read The Case Against Sugar by Gary Tobbs? <clears throat> I am aware of it. I don't need, I, I, I'm, I've heard enough. No, no, no. I think you should read it okay. because I think as a questioner, it's really going to clarify. Interesting. It's going to give you those justifications that okay. are going to strengthen you, that are going to make you all like feel more purposeful about it. Right. And also, and you could say That's to your idea. wife, I need you to help me do this i need because if you need her tapping into her obliger yes yes okay. i need you to set me the good example if i see you indulging i'm going to feel like i can indulge i need you to do this with me i need you to be my example that's going to help her one of the mottos for obligers is you can count on me and i'm counting on you to count on me <laughs> so she's counting on you to count on her yeah. and by seeing her example you're going to be like well like this is clearly something we can do what are the when you're Bullying people about happiness. What are the other things that you hone in on? Just like at a cocktail party. Oh my gosh, I can really sort of be a jerk. I mean, I, <laughs> I talked to this woman. Oh my gosh, I'm haunted by it. And she was like, "My dream one day is to open up a flower shop." And she was in dental school. Dental school is a very specific thing. So I'm like, "Well, why are you in dental school?" And she's explaining to me, "Well, she likes the hours. She's always been good at science. She likes working with people. All this." But then one day, she was gonna like open up the flower shop. This was her dream. This was something that was totally with. I mean, I'm not gonna get into the whole details of her life, but that's something that she could have done right now. And I was just like, "Why are you not opening up your flower shop right now? Like, why is that the impossible dream? You could do that. Why are you in dental school? I mean, that's hard. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of effort." Yeah, and I mean, I was like really like to the point where I wanted to jump. It was like at a ladies' luncheon. I wanted to leap over the table, <laughs> knock over the water glasses with my heels, and shake her. I'd be like, "You've got to start the flower shop." You know what I mean? It's just like why, why, why would you not? I don't know. It just seemed like she didn't have a vision of why she was doing. I mean, and it wasn't like one thing was easy and one thing was hard. They were both hard. They were both very, very hard. And the dental school thing was like, that's like a 15-year plan. You know, she was really locking herself in. And then once you've got to dental school and you're a dentist, it's like, how can you be like, oh, two years later? I mean, I went did this with law school, right? Went through law school, clerked for two years, and then quit and became a writer. For a lot of people, that would be really hard because they're like, 
after all the time and energy yeah. and money that I've poured yeah. into this, how can I turn my back on it? It's the problem of sunk costs. It's hard to do that, you know? And the more you go into something where you're sinking a lot of investment into a certain fate, it becomes harder and harder to switch. Okay, last last question. <laughs> this is this is one area where I actually do think maybe you could bully me in some positive ways about having this. Time management. I would guess what I would say if there was one thing that is kind of a drag on my happiness is like figuring I have so much to do and then figuring out how to do it all in a way that doesn't drive me absolutely bonkers. And well, it can make me irritable. Like I, I was a little irritable with my wife this morning. Not, not Words were not exchanged, but I just like wasn't in the mood to talk to her because I had so much weighing on me. Well, I mean, from what I know about you is I just think you have a lot in your day. Like yes. your day is really planned for you to be at top efficiency at every moment. Yes. And so I think part of the problem, it's not that you're not efficient. It's just that you have extremely high expectations of what you can do with your time. Like you meditate for two hours a day. Well, that's two hours a day of awake time right off the table, you know, and you have a lot, you have a many, many responsibilities. So I'm not sure your problem is efficiency. It's more like you have a problem of, of ambition. You really want to do a lot of things. So you could sit down and say, like, well, is something not important to me that I'm doing? And so I could lighten my load that way. Or maybe just sort of say, look, there's, I don't want to let anything go. I want to do everything. And sometimes it's just going to make me feel like I'm sort of maybe barely hanging on or, or like I go through periods where I'm like only preparing for the next day. Like there's nothing that I'm doing that isn't do, like for tomorrow. I'm doing this blog post for tomorrow. I'm preparing this podcast episode for tomorrow. You know, everything, I'm just looking at my schedule for tomorrow because I, I don't have the flexibility to look outward. I couldn't live like that all the time. But you just have a lot of things you want to fit into your day. It's really interesting. So my wife and I did a thing when I was freaking out about this, I don't know, like 18 months ago, where we kind of put everything on, everything that I was working on, on index yes. cards and threw them down the table. And there was nothing... There was like literally nothing either of us could agree that wasn't valuable. We had to do them all. And I think I didn't actually say this to myself, but what you just articulated is probably exactly right, which is I think I have to just come to terms with yes. the fact that I'm going to do all these things. Sometimes I'm going to be unhappy. Right. Sometimes it's going to make you feel like you're just trying to cram too much. Yes. In. But also you're in the rush hour of life. You know, right. you're like kind of right in your career. You've got a family. You've got a J job, you've got a side hustle, you've got a lot going on. Um, and that's just where you are. It's the season of life. And so I don't, I don't think that there's an efficiency trick that would help. It's just that you want to cram a lot into your day. And there's a satisfaction of that too. You know, that's what you want. That's what you choose. And so I think there's a comfort that comes from just saying there's no waste there. There's nothing that you're doing out of just sheer obligation or out of inertia or habit. It's all valuable to you. Yes, that's true. So that's that that's very that's very fortunate. There's something to be grateful Absolutely. for that. High class problem. Yeah. No question about it. I'm very grateful for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that's probably why you're meditating two hours a day. Is like, what is it? Uh, if you're feeling, what it's like, if you're feeling calm, meditate for X time. If you're feeling rushed, meditate for t what? What's the, the saying? The expression is um, if. You should, everybody should meditate for 20 minutes a day, and if you don't have 20 minutes, you should do 40 minutes. Yes, exactly, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you're meditating for two hours, that suggests a pretty heavy load. <laughs> yeah. No, and I need it. You know, like I need it. Plus also the, the whole two-hour-a-day thing is also kind of an experiment and something I'll write about. And there's a, it's a whole – anyway, not, we don't have time for this. But it's not two hours at once. No, definitely yeah. not. Right. No. Um before you go, get, just give us a whole rundown of where people can find yeah. 
assets and uh, and information and all the stuff they if they want to learn more about you. Okay, so I have a website called GretchenRubin.com. You know, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, and there's t- I post there almost every day about my adventures and happiness and good habits on the four tendencies. And there's tons of resources there, too, if you want, like, one-pagers on how to use the four tendencies or discussion guides for the book and all sorts of things. Then I also have a podcast that I do with my sister called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And we talk about the four tendencies there a lot, but also just everything related to happier. You were one of our, I think you were our first guest. I was definitely not the first guest, but I was there once and your mom was in it. We were in like a little shipping container recording. We now have much nicer studios. Yeah, you were in the old black hole studio. Yes. I got a little claustrophobic in there. Yeah, I remember that because it was, it has like a very low ceiling. But your mother calming that just, she's so, she was so calm. I was like, all right. Yeah, she's a calm person. Um, so that's Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And then uh, I have that app that I mentioned, which is a place where you can go if you want to have conversations with people or like your parent who's struggling with a, an issue with a child or you're in healthcare and you want to talk about how with other healthcare people how to use it. And you can have the accountability groups. So there's all kinds of accountability groups for anything you could think of, or you can start your own. And that's the better app. And it's betterapp.us if you're on a desktop or if you just, or if you're in the app store, you just search for Better Gretchen Rubin and you, you'll find it. And then, of course, the book is like where I lay this whole thing out very systematically um, about how you think about the four tendencies. Oh, and I'm on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter YouTube? under the name Gretchen Rubin. You know, I, just, I was looking at Instagram today and I was realizing I don't follow you. I need to start following you. You should. I'll yeah. follow you. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Great job. Thank you. It's so fun to talk to you. Thanks for having me again. Always. Okay, that does it for another edition of the 10% Happier Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to subscribe, rate us. Also, if you want to suggest topics you think we should cover or guests that we should bring in, hit me up on Twitter at Dan B. Harris. Importantly, I want to thank uh, the people who produce this podcast, Lauren Efron, Josh Cohan, and the rest of the folks here at ABC who helped make this thing possible. We have tons of other podcasts. You can check them out at abcnewspodcasts.com. I'll talk to you next Wednesday. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. 
I lost. But now, I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully, no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.